Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. The content of this radio show is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Welcome to One Soul Radio, an interactive conscious conversation grounded in psychology and inspired by spirit with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. This is the show for you and by you, a virtual community creating conscious conversation and the opportunity to have a place to delve a little deeper in life than you may do on your own. We're offering you a unique perspective from both worlds at the same time. My name is Callie Alpert here in the central Hudson Valley in New York with my dear friend, co-host, and spiritual psychotherapist, Steve Hassenberg. So nice to see you again. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, I know. We always, like, we don't like you, like, you, like, we don't see each other five million other times during the week, right? Been a long time. Been a long time. <laughs> anyway, it's 81 degrees in LA today. Okay, well, I'm not, I don't miss that. Um, I, miss I know, that it's a little situation. too warm for me. Yeah. This is winter. Um, well, in the Hudson Valley, it's been like this beautiful, stereotypic, out of a, you know, harvest brochure for fall. Wow. Just like beautiful, wow. and crispy, and all kinds of things. So are we feeling spiritual? I had a dream last night about certain spiritual laws coming through. Ah. They were like clouds in the sky. Really? Well, that's yeah. really, that's a great foreshadowing of what's to come tonight. Yeah. Um, because we are continuing our series, our holiday series about legendary personal growth books that can help you get through the holidays. And today we are featuring the seven spiritual laws of success, the wisdom of Deepak Chopra. Um, Steve and I have both had the pleasure of encountering, knowing a little bit and all kinds of fleeting little interactions <laughs> on and off for many years. Me stalking a little bit, admit- admittedly, way back in the day. We'll share some of that with you. Um, and Deepak like- stalking me. Oh, and Deepak stalking you, right. Yeah. So it's all transitive. That's what happens <laughs> with us. So um, if you'd like to join the conversation, we are at 816-251-3555. We would love to hear from you. Please join us. So let's start with, um, Let me. I'll just uh, read our little blurb here about the seven laws of success. Um, while many of us are raised believing that success is about achievements and checking boxes, Deepak Chopra's best-selling seven, law, seven Spiritual Laws of Success shows us another way that getting into a flow with the natural rhythms of the universe can actually bring us more abundance, joy, and good health than we could ever imagine. So today we're going to break down those seven spiritual laws, or we're going to do our best to get through all of them. We'll see how we do. We're going to share um, some of our unique interpretations and stories and offer some action steps to aid you on the road to spiritual success. Can't wait, Callie. Oh, good. Me either. I'd like some spiritual success. <laughs> I would say that you embody a good amount of spiritual success from what I know of you. Um, just to remind you, you've done oh. a very, very good job. Um. So I think overarching before we start getting into the, um, each of the respective steps is that, um, one of the reasons that we appreciate this book is that we believe that everything can, or actually Deepak Chopra teaches and often influenced by your former teacher and mentor, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. That everything can be, did I say his name correctly, by the way? Did I just represent correctly? Um, That everything can be created by following these laws and that this is the science of creative intelligence. So right away, it's sort of cool. And this is on my mind for other reasons because um, of a conversation I had yesterday. But it's the idea, again, of um, not attaining and not seeking and not chasing and not looking for something to add, but in some ways 
peeling away and getting into getting further and further inside and um, closer to our pure essence where ideally when we make the space a lot of these things show up and help us get into alignment which is the other key word of my winter fall and winter I'm a little obsessed as Steve knows with alignment these days um, now how did you first get turned on by this book what is it what does it mean to you when you think about this title and this book well, I actually have to go back further than that okay. because uh, in the mid-80s, early 80s and mid-80s, uh, Deepak Chopra and myself and many other people were on what are called rounding courses with Maharishi. Mm-hmm. And rounding courses were six to eight hours of meditation breathing and yoga, having good vegetarian meals, sometimes being in silence, sometimes um, not only silence, but fasting. And then in the evening, Maharishi would come and he would give these long talks, sometimes with Nobel Prize laureates. Mm, And Deepak at that point was an unknown physician from India. So that's the way that I met Deepak Mm -hmm. and much of this material comes from Maharishi Mm -hmm. with the Deepak twist. Right. And, um, you know, I've been very interested in his work over the years. And of course I'm a big follower of spiritual laws. And so all of these, when I read the book, all of these laws made a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. in regards to a lot of the Vedic teaching that Maharishi was disseminating into the world. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. It's actually even just listening to you sort of speak about it is kind of cool. It's um, what's, what's, what's clicking for me now is yeah. just the idea of even using the word law uh-huh. you know, as a basic, basic, just basic fundamentals of life to, you know, to try to subscribe to rather than our societal laws that get, you know, um, what, I don't know, used, I was going to say imposed, although they're all, most of them are often for good reason, but still it's just sort of a different way of having um, a version of a law internally with, between you and yourself. And I just, uh, it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool word to use that I don't usually resonate with. And let me pull that back. It originated as natural law. Mm -hmm. Deepak changed it to law. Right. But when you say natural law, yeah. it has a very different flavor yeah. that nature has her laws. We're part of nature, and those laws are very applicable to our life lived in a state of harmony. Right. And if we could just sort of get into that flow, which often has to do with not being in our heads, but being more in our hearts and more in our higher faith system. Um, we can tap into these natural laws. So yeah, that's really, it's cool. Just, uh, it's clicking for me in a different way today. So that's nice. I'm glad. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, let's get, we'll get into it. If we have time, maybe we'll share a few more, um, Deepak stories. Um, so the first one is pure, the law of pure potentiality. Now, when I think of the idea of potential, Um, again, probably when I was younger, it had more to do with my more material aspirations, you know, and my other ideas of what success was and the checklist of the things that I wanted to accomplish. When I think of potentiality now, it has to do more with me just being the most whole version of myself, my highest version of myself, highest and best is another trendy expression that I've been hearing a lot more lately too. Um, but so one of the things that uh, one of the kind of tenets under this that we talked about is the idea of silence, that the more we can tap into silence and the more we can quiet the mind and get um, create some space around all our stories and the narratives in our head, the more receptivity we'll create to receive this higher essence and this higher intelligence. Right. So if you think of the higher intelligence as that unifying foundation of all of life yeah so we're saying there's a higher intelligence and that's foundational to all of life the more quiet we are the more that life can spring forward the more noisy we are 
the less that life can get through that kind of ping pong ball mm -hmm. that's going back and forth mm -hmm. called our thoughts. Go ahead. Was there something else? <laughs> <laughs> we're like, yeah, nodding. Right. Everybody, anyone, everyone listening to us can't see us nodding, but we're nodding to each other. <laughs> right. So I told you in our pre-production meeting or our production meeting that in psychology, they say we use about seven or eight percent of our potential. Right. And so the idea of pure potentiality would be using a hundred percent of our potential. Amazing. And we would be fully aligned with natural law and fully aligned with creative intelligence. That would be like a, a an incredible ideal. Yeah, it's a it's really a beautiful concept. The idea of being you know in touch with all of that in a more regular way. I mean, I always you know say I aspire to that or you know try to practice my way to that. Um, but the idea, you know, I um, I was starting to tell you a little bit before the show that um, a I, I had the pleasure of interviewing for um, Omega Institute where I work for the new podcast that's going to be launching soon. I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Master Ming Tang Gu, who is a Qigong uh, master and a beautiful man and a very wise soul. And um, just in talking to him about the idea of energy, it almost felt palpable. It um, he almost made it seem like it, not this sort of, I don't say transitory is the right word, but this kind of um, intangible thing. You know, he gave it, he personified it in a way that made it feel more like reachable. And it just, you know, the more you can kind of tap into that, the more you can realize that our five senses and that perception that we have that makes us feel very comfortable here in our earthly lives is really very limiting. And that if we can just make space, because I asked him, like, isn't it, um, how do you even start to believe it? He said, it really is a leap of faith, you know, to really, you know, when you when you start getting into this, sort of speaking this language and wanting to tap into it. But for um, for us, I know we talk about this a lot on the show, and I know Maharishi talked about this and taught you this, is that meditation is really a great gateway to getting that's, into it. That's the way to travel. <laughs> I can't say it enough. I know, you do. Because um, you're stepping back from gridlock, mm -hmm. right? So thoughts are like gridlock, or the great metaphor in India is that the surface of the ocean can be very wild with 40 foot waves and Cross 90 currents. mile an hour winds. And if you go 15 feet down, it's completely silent. Mm. And so it's the same as the mind, 90 mile an hour winds, 90 foot waves. <laughs> if you're not surfing it, you're going to die. And if you go down a little through meditation, you're in a place of great peace and harmony. That was one of the first metaphors that I was uh, taught, um, or visuals, whatever, that I was taught when I first um, learned uh, TM, when TM was brought to a television yep. show I was working on. And that was like one of the first kind of visuals they gave us for, for that. So it's a great thing to remember. Is there anything, there's so much rich stuff here. Yeah. If we get through all seven, I guess we should move on to the second one. Is there anything else that we wanted to say about the idea of pure potentiality? Uh, only in, I think the important thing to say about that is we are born with that potential. Mm. Every human being has the potential to be free, to experience inner peace, to experience unbounded, timeless awareness, and to be aligned with their soul. And so that stands as an ideal, mm. but everybody does have that potential. And it's all inside of us. All none inside. Of none of it is on the outside. Right. Right. But there's some cool things on the outside. Tell me about them. That's why, you know, that's why Cheesecake I complain so much when I don't have them. Chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> you're, well, you're easy. I got, I got bigger external checklist <laughs> things. Um, so the second one that we're going to talk about today is the law of giving. Now, this one is certainly uh, probably more self-explanatory. 
and the idea that also you know giving um, is is often not a selfless act because it also what circles back is often greater than what you put out. I think about all the stories that we've watched and witnessed over the last um, year and a half, close to two years now with COVID and just the rise, um, people such like abject resolve in the midst of all the difficulty that's going on in darkness Mm -hmm. to really dig deep to find, and with a lot of intention to do some really beautiful things. You just, you know, they've been, all these stories have been featured now for so long and it's not new, but it feels like it's been more compounded. And, you know, at some point it becomes really predictable that people are just, um, I think there's a lot of expansion and growing in the idea of putting out and giving. So this is, this comes, this comes in the form of everything from your basic, you know, giving gifts when they're not necessarily warranted or required, complimenting people. And we don't mean it gratuitously. We really I think we we both agree that things have to really genuinely come from your heart, but that's probably more of what this exercise is, is just to stop and take a moment and get in touch with what's in your heart toward another human being, right? Um, so because you brought up COVID, what I think of first is all these frontline responders mm-hmm. who just, I have a few of them in my practice, and uh, I mean, I know what they went through over the past 20 months and the, the dedication, commitment, being there day and night, 12 hours, 15 hours, and helping, 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 helping to the point of exhaustion. Yeah. But I, over, I was overwhelmed in a way by the selflessness of it. And... Uh, all of these people who have been in the hospitals helping other people. I'm just like hats off to yes. all of them. Right. Yes, definitely. Um, and by the way, total digression for a second. I also want to acknowledge yeah. that today as we're recording the show, it's veterans day. And so okay. hats off that we just want to acknowledge right. anybody who's given service and do and pay duty to this country is beautiful. And often what's the word I wanted to use? confusing country that we live in. Um, so we just want to... Um, we are very opinionated that. people. Mm. Right? Yeah. It's a good way I mean, remember the old term rugged individualism? No. Oh, that... They, we were talking about the United States as populated by rugged individuals who went west and covered wagons, uh, okay. you know, uh-huh. yeah. and faced the elements. Mm-hmm. And so we have that kind of very strong individualism. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful and it's difficult. So speaking of giving and what people have done for those yeah. that followed in all kinds of different ways, um, I think that for me, part of the, just I don't want to say reframe, but something just like maybe to take a little bit of a deeper dive into this, again, has to do with maybe um, making a point or making it a part of your practice to have a presence of mind to recognize someone or something in a way that you might not typically be conditioned. So you and I both have a lot of stories about um, how we pay attention to strangers, whether, well, I don't want to take your story, so you can tell you have a few stories on this front. Um, You know, how I I recently um, was at, on campus, actually, at Omega Institute, and um, as we're closing the, you know, the, the physical campus for the winter, the end of the season, I bumped into a seasonal staff member who was packing up and one of the last to last to leave. And I had never talked to him before, <clears throat> but when he started speaking to me, I recognized his voice and his energy from two months ago when I was in a different location, like at the cafe and having a cup of tea or something. And I heard this male voice on the phone, having a conversation with an old friend that he was about to see for the first time. And while I was trying to want to eavesdrop, I just noticed his energy, his presence, his excitement. There was just something that really got my attention. So when I heard his voice and face to face, I said, I know you. And then I basically mirrored back and just reflected everything that I just said to you. And he was so moved by that the fact that that was what I noticed about him and really appreciated it. And it was just a different version of 
a connection. So was that an overt compliment? No, but it was just the idea that somebody was seen and heard, albeit I might have been eavesdropping on his phone conversation. But it was just another way to have a an exchange with a human. Would you like I'd to love share that. one of your, fav- your favorite stories on, these, on the same front? Which one would you like? I like your elevator story. You like the elevator story. So, okay. It was Friday afternoon. <laughs> it was about 5.30. And I, my office was on the second floor. And I punched the elevator key. And as the elevator was coming down, I heard somebody singing at the top of their lungs. <laughs> and I, well, you know, we have a lot of homeless people in Santa Monica. So I thought it was some crazy person. And the doors opened, and it was Goldie Hawn. (laughs) And she was singing at the top of her lungs. And I got in, and I said to her, you are fabulous. (laughs) And she said, do you think so? And I said, I really do. And she said, you know what? You are fabulous. I said, why? Because you're recognizing that I'm singing at the end of the day, and you're really into it. So thank you so much. What was she singing, by the way? I don't remember. Do remember? Uh. <laughs> um, it's it's a precious story. Yeah. And, you know, again, and for somebody who, you know, doesn't, I'm sure is not hurting for public attention, not that that <laughs> means that she feels validated from people, strangers. Um, but when you're in that profession, it's not something that you're unaccustomed to. Yeah. But you pierce through something that was a little bit deeper and more present. And it's kind of the point that we're trying to make, right? Right. It's beautiful. Um, the other thing I think that's, that, that's uh, noteworthy here that's a little bit different from what uh, we might assume in terms of the idea of giving is the idea of moving wealth around. And mm-hmm. we don't mean necessarily redistribution of wealth, which is obviously a big topic. I think that's a given that we firmly believe that that should be the case. But this is also, I've been through this plenty of times when I haven't had um, money, when I felt in a real deep place of lack that there's the, you have to spend it to make it kind of adage, but there's also just the idea of keeping a flow going because the more you're living in fear and restraint and, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, just sort of holding tight to something, whether it's a person or a thing or money, the less energy and the less flow is around it. So actually if you do the opposite, it can bring it back to you in, in bigger ways. So I just, um, the idea of moving money and using it freely, even if it means when you're feeling broke, you spend $10 on a manicure, you know, whatever it might be, or giving it to somebody in the street when you'd rather keep it for yourself and buy yourself a cup of coffee. It's very simple little things. It doesn't nice grand gesture. Nice. Yeah. Good with that. Yeah. I like it. So we're going to law of karma, which is my favorite law. Your favorite. Because I've had so much karma in my life, like, I can't believe that I've had so much bad karma. Did I have bad karma, (laughs) County? Yeah, because you're being punished for all the bad things you did, right? In a a previous previous lifetime. lifetime. Now what we're going to do is we're going to maybe negate that. We're going to call that a myth. We're going to call that a, a myth and something that's really not the way we look at karma, right? Right. Um, so often people, um, when they talk about the word karma and something's going wrong, you know, diff- something feels difficult for them in their life. Oh, I must have really done something horrible to somebody in my last life. And they say it in sort of a joking, flippant kind of way and, and half serious way. Like there's got to be a cause and effect to everything right um but our take on karma is you do this because you're the the master sensei of this you've taught me this philosophy well our take on karma is that it's another opportunity right to heal something that has been unhealed or unresolved and um i began looking at it that way probably about 25, 20 years ago, maybe. And it changed my life. How'd you first get into, I'm sorry, go ahead. Because instead of seeing a God's wrath, (laughs) the punishment coming down from the heavens, I saw it as 
the universe was actually a playwright. And the universe was creating plays with characters that were being recycled. And in this recycling group of cast, we got to relive or reenact things that we didn't do quite well. And so we had new opportunities and new plays and new settings and the same old characters were in different disguises and it was really interesting. <laughs> it's such a good visual. It sounds like a masquerade party during carnival or something <laughs> like gone bad though, or not gone bad, gone, gone challenging. And uh -huh. also to that beautiful description, there's the piece where we actually are the co-writers of all these stories as well. It's not like they're being imposed on us. Right. They're We're being... co-creators mm -hmm. of our plays, right? right? Right. And if you see it as a play, and you see it as a play that's actually very profound and poignant and raw and significant, then you approach it very differently. So we're going to stop with that note, because that's a really good tee-up to talking further about karma. We're talking about Deepak Chopra's seven, law, seven Spiritual Laws of Success, and we will be right back. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to One Soul Radio with Steve Hassenberg and Kelly Alpert. Welcome back, everybody, to One Soul Radio here on Unity Online Radio. I'm Callie Alpert with my co-host and friend and spiritual psychotherapist extraordinaire. Wow. <laughs> I just felt like adding that. Steve Hassenberg, who is representing the West Coast um, here on the East Coast. And we are talking about, we're in our, um, our second of our holiday series on the legendary personal growth books that will help get you through the holidays. <laughs> um, and tonight we're talking about Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, The Wisdom of Deepak Chopra. So we were just talking, let's finish up the, um, we've talked about the law of pure potentiality. We've talked about the law of giving. We're in the middle kind of um, finishing up with the law of karma. I think this one is so, it's probably the most important in a bigger scale, maybe not from this book per se, but in terms of like the topics that we cover and a lot of what I've learned from you and just knowing you over the years um, is like you were saying that karma is an opportunity and that's something that really um, turned all of this around for you. And I call it like the master reframe, the idea that it's not about being punished for something that you did badly and you know, there's no judgment here. Um, but it's really just like you were so beautifully put it before, like stories that are born of many lifetimes ago, or you don't even have to believe that it could just be a story that's born of this life for you. Um, and that when things might give the impression or might feel really hard and challenging, really, it's just, uh, something that's being presented to you so that you can further know it, excavate it, love it is another one that you always talk about to really embrace these parts of us that just are screaming out for a little extra hug, a little extra attention before they transmute and vaporize into the ether and find their way to some other soul that they need to help. <laughs> Thank you and good night, everyone. Thank you so much. Right. Um, is there anything else? Cause I know that that's a really, you know, this can be really hard. I mean, this is a really difficult one because mm -hmm. again, Say it to somebody who's going through a very difficult time or challenging illness or lost a relationship or is in some catastrophic situation. You know, we don't say this lightly. It's very deep and it's deep work and it takes a lot of commitment and perspective. And it's very hard to connect with when you're inside the middle of whatever you're going through. So we The tornado. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So what we can say about it, bringing it back to the beginning of the hour, 
-hmm. is that uh, we talked about these seven spiritual laws as natural laws. Mm. So the law of karma is a natural law, but it's a natural law because nature wants to be whole. So because nature wants to be whole, it gives us other opportunities ad infinitum <laughs> till we heal them so we can be whole. Mm. As long as we're dragging around a long bag behind us of things that aren't resolved, things that haven't been forgiven, regrets that we have, that bag is going to continue to produce into the future so we can become whole and love ourselves. It doesn't look like that, but that's what it is. Yeah. And the other word that you use a lot, which has helped me often, is completion, that everything is seeking completion. Right. So all these stories are looking for us to write the final chapter and close the book. That's right. And, right? And the more we can kind of make friends with them and write those final lines, the, you know, the faster we can send them on their merry way get to that hollywood ending <laughs> it's funny i've never really been about hollywood endings that's a whole other show <laughs> that's funny i am now so maybe i need to take that okay. back because yeah so let's move on to the law of least effort um the law of least effort has to do with things like uh, it's the path of least resistance was another big book that came out right in like the 80s or 90s i think um accepting things as they are saying yes to everything, taking responsibility for all situations and, and events versus seeing them as problems or feeling um, acting victimized around them. Um, this one I really love, and we can go back and kind of, I'm just blazing through to list them now. Uh, let go of the need to defend your point of view. Wow. That to me is so big and so important and the standout inside of this. And I think where that comes from um at least on days when I'm good at it, and there's plenty of days when I'm not, that it really is directly related to how whole we feel with ourselves and how self-accepting and self-compassionate we are, right? The more true, the more validating we are with ourselves, the less we need it from anybody else. And this one's just so loud too, especially now in the world and division, the dogmas have gotten so deep and people don't have any room to hear anything that might, um, you know... Uh, divert from what they're trying to say or a point they're trying to make or somebody they're trying to convert into a different way of thinking and all, all of which is really futile, but the more you can kind of hold your own space and be your greatest supporter, the less you need that support from, you know, the outside. So I just think that's such an important one to sit with. I think that's really cool. And I'm kind of remembering the uh, Course in Miracles. Mm -hmm. So Course in Miracles says that success is open-heartedness. Mm. And so I would say that the seven laws of spiritual success, if you took all of them and got to the foundation, it would be open-heartedness. Because in order to say yes to everything, that's an open heart, right? And that's very dangerous in a way on one hand and very courageous on the other right it's a real it's a huge le it's probably the biggest leap of faith it's the biggest version of trust right opening your arms up to the universe and saying yes to everything regardless of what it looks like that requires have you ever done that <laughs> well you know that you happen to know that this is a big topic that's on my mind even this week um, very loudly um, have I ever opened myself up fully to like, yes, full, full surrender? Maybe for, for a half 40%? hour. <laughs> um, I'm asking myself in like a, a, I'm trying not to say yes too easily about it. I mean, I've definitely had moments, yeah. um, fleeting moments and, yeah. Um, and I definitely have that desire in my mind, but do I have it fully in my body? I'm working on that in a deeper way. I mean, I can say yes to a lot of things. I can be adventurous. I can be trusting. I can be open and curious and 
free spirited and throw caution to the wind and all these things. And yet for me, my version of like the purest version of that, the deepest version I can think of. No, I'm not there yet. Neither am I. I can't say yes to everything either. Really? No. Hmm. There are things that I say no to. Like certain movies, I don't want to go. Oh, okay. Well, that's, uh-huh. All right. No, I'm yeah. just... well, I mean, that's because we have preferences too that we're allowed to have. I'm that's just saying teasing. yes to ourselves. Right? I'm just teasing like, a little. But you're like, I don't want vanilla. I want chocolate. Right. That's saying yes. Right. This is a very, very advanced kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think Singer talked about it in his uh, Surrender book, right? Like Michael Singer and the Surrender Project. Right. Surrender Experiment, Surrender Project, I think it's called. Right. Beautiful, beautiful, important book. Well, yeah. He went along and wanted to do the world with less effort. Mm. And he wrote a whole book about it. Mm-hmm. So it's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. Um, do you want to share your Deepak story under this kind of category? Sure. Sure. Do you want me to so, remind you which one? Yeah, I. <laughs> Okay. The one after I watched The Secret. Yes. So I watched The Secret, and of course we were all taken with it, and there were a lot of wonderful uh, thought leaders in that movie. And one of them was a chiropractor whose name I cannot remember, but he said, this is what I do every day. I give a little time for the sacred. Could be five minutes, could be 15 minutes. And I make a decision. I close my eyes and I say, okay, anything, I'm open to any, this is the yes, I'm open to anything right now. And I'm expecting the sacred to show up. So I did that. I left my office, went downstairs, was at the crosswalk with a red light. And as I was standing there, I heard this heavy breathing behind me, but I mean heavy, like somebody was going to pass out. (laughs) And I didn't want to turn around because in Santa Monica, you don't turn around because it could be a homeless person who doesn't like you. But it kept going, and I did turn around, and it was Deepak Chopra. (laughs) And no one walks in in L.A. That's the other piece of this. Joking, but. So I turned around and I went, Deepak? And I thought, why is he breathing like this? You know, But I didn't ask him because I was embarrassed. And so I said, we introduced ourselves. I told him I was in Switzerland with him. And we walked together for four or five blocks chatting about being with Maharishi. So that was my little sacred moment. Mm-hmm. I've had... Um... I think the point of that story and what I can really relate to and totally attest to being true is that it's really not that complicated. All it is is just asking or deciding in a moment that you want to have a deeper relation, you want to open up your channel to a higher place or, you know, a different place of source, right? And this is saying yes. Right. It really, um, and all you have to do is remember to do it because our conditioning we've gotten so conditioning the deeper piece of this is that you know we we come into these human bodies and we come into all our story narratives and all these you know um, scripts that we've written and they often mostly our human condition is they they are um they're not about the assumption of our rightful inheritance of abundance and wholeness they're about all our limitations so true. and our challenges and our difficulties and our so disappointments true. and our lack of ex- our low expectations and our things are going to be hard and dense and you know i'm saying that of experience because i'm really good at it um and always trying to kind of unlearn all that so true um but i'm also keenly aware that everything you just described is true so i'm just thinking of an example from i don't know probably a month ago so yeah probably about four weeks ago And I was, you know, having maybe a lonely, cranky Sunday, and I went to a place where I um, hike a lot um, up in the Hudson Valley, beautiful Hudson Valley. And then I remembered um, in this parking lot before I went on this hike, it's a historic site too, so there's, it's really, it's a beautiful place. 
And I remembered exactly what you're saying. And I just said, you know what, let me turn this around here. Let me leave behind all the stuff that's kind of mucking me up that day. And let me just open myself up for something nice to kind of lighten my spirits. And about five minutes later, this is a longer story. I'll have to tell the abridged version. Um, this has happened twice at this place too. So there must be a vortex there. Once I bumped into somebody that I did a story on, I was hearing a voice behind me. She was talking to a group of people with their dogs. I don't know her well. I met her once. We had this connection at the point at that time I was living three hours away from where I saw her and there she was in the parking lot. We reconnected. That was one time. And another time at the same place is that I saw, I often do this, um, when I see people that are kind of in the, like have a photo opportunity, but they're just engaged with themselves. So they're not looking or taking pictures. I saw this young mother and her baby, they were sitting, it was like this bucolic, ridiculous postcard opportunity. And I said, may I take your picture and then I'll text it to you. I just, I do that with strangers here and there. And when, um, I asked her finally what her baby's name was, it was, um, the name was a name that I have, you know, this is a longer story that I, um, have had in my being for about 25 years that I wanted to name my daughter had I had a daughter. Oh, wow. Um, and it's an unusual name. Wow. And uh, I only know less than like three people in the world with that I've ever encountered with it. And this baby had that name. So wow. for me, that was just like, we're here. Hi, we're here. You know, wow. so it's kind of cool. If you just sort of sit and decide, um, you know, it's always here. It's all here. I love that. Yeah. So that's the law of least effort is just remembering, um, believing that the universe works in your favor. Next law. We law have three in five minutes. Okay, we can do it. Um, okay, or a little more. Uh, uh, Deepak will uh, forgive us if we don't get in each of them too deeply um, or as deeply. The law of intention and desire. So which one, what does this summon up for you? The law of intention and desires. Well, this is an interesting thing, because for me, um, we do come to Earth to fulfill our dreams, and dreams are desires, and we also come to work, to work, see, to Earth. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's work. It's hard freaking work. Right? We also come to Earth in order to heal our past mm-hmm. and so there's this combination of fulfilling our dreams and healing our past and moving back and forth between those things and of course it it brings up my favorite sufi phrase which is oh, a you- sufi is huh no go ahead i thought a you were su- prompting me go ahead a sufi is grateful for all that has been given, but a Sufi is also grateful for all that has been denied. Mm-hmm. It's that combination. If we can get peaceful with that mm-hmm. and say yes to that, our life is very, very different. It's much more harmonious, much more wise. You, when you first um, shared that phrase with me, I um, I was like, what? <laughs> what in the world does that mean? Now it makes a lot more sense to me. Um, and yeah, I just think th- this is something I've thought about a lot, of, a lot along the way, which is when you have such deep desires and pipe dreams. I remember even being a younger kid and thinking, you know, being maybe I aspired to I had some fantasy about something and someone said oh that's just a pipe dream meaning that it didn't have like a you know the, uh, it wouldn't never land or have like real gravitas to it and I remember coming to this conclusion on my own so, wait a second how could this possibly be separate from me I wasn't con- I didn't have the words for it but how could this possibly be for not if this is being born in my being how could it possibly not be meant to happen I later learned because so many things that we desire don't happen yet or haven't happened or might not ever happen that the difference is if it comes from your head versus your heart and if it comes from a place of fear versus sort of belief i think that's a distinction too if it comes from a place of like fear and lack maybe we need to look at that a little bit versus when it comes from a place of space space and sort of light expectation and allowance that's going to happen um let's take our caller of our, our caller of the day we've been a little quiet today but you and i do a good job of gabbing with ourselves Caller, hi, are you there? Hi, yeah, I'm here. Can hi. you hear me? What's your name and where are you calling from? I'm Jan, and I'm calling from um, L.A. 
What's your question? So welcome. I have a question. Um, it, it's with the, the law of least effort. I've always had trouble with that. Mm-hmm. When um, Deepak Chopra says to accept things as they are and to take responsibility for all situations, how do we do that when we're born into families that are very difficult, um, dysfunctional, or just downright mean? Um, does that mean that I've caused these things? Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Well, first of all, you've, great, come to, right? you've come to the right place because Steve and I both understand dysfunctional, mean, difficult families because we both came from them. So, so you're in a safe place with that. Um, but that's an interesting, so that's an interesting question. The idea that, um, like, are we to take responsibility for the whole picture? Is that what you mean? Or just, um, our place in it? Just so I understand how you're asking Uh-oh. this. Um, it did in other lives, did I cause it? Mm. So I guess it's a combination of both things that you've said. You want to? Okay, so let's go back to being playwrights. Playwrights with the gods and goddesses that create circumstance, events, and the earth experience. So this is the way my, this is obviously my take on it. My take is, and I had to figure this out with my father, who was very difficult. People know about him. People write to me about him that, I've heard me talk about him on the radio now. Ah, And they go, oh, my God, I'm so glad you talked about that. Right. So um, why do we choose these people and get into these wrecks of of dysfunctional (laughs) families? We always choose. And, you know, the Tibetans have a good way of thinking about it. Uh, Our parents choose us from a soul level. And we choose them from a soul level based on certain experiences from the past, a desire to amplify love and a desire to resolve pain. And both of those things are very active when we take birth in dysfunctional families. My father was very dysfunctional in many ways, especially in the realm of money. And I am sure prior to this lifetime, I had big money issues. And so what that does, it sets up a catalyst for my experience of my own fear. When we take birth, when let's say when we're in heaven, and I know I have to do this quickly, but when we're in heaven, we can keep going after the show. Part two. Yeah. Right? But when we're in heaven, we see these difficult times karmically, as we've said, as opportunities to communicate better, to love more, to be more patient, all of that. And we have so much love in that state that we feel we're able to accomplish something that has wanted to be accomplished for lifetimes. And so we take birth and we fly into a family and then we forget (laughs) everything we possibly knew And then we go, what happened to me? I'm being punished. This is a crazy place. Get me out of here. (laughs) That was beautifully said and speedily. Jen, does that address your um, your question? (laughs) Yes, it does. (laughs) It's... Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the question. That's really, it's a, I, it's, you did that justice as best we can with our limited time. So right. it was really beautifully done. Um, and I think one of the other distinctions that's helpful here too, is that, yes, I, I, like you said, there's an energetic, um, I think we all pick each other. I think it's also easier to remember the concept of that when you think about people that you fall in love with or that are your chosen family, your friends, people that you have deep resonance with where you think, I knew you from another time and place. It, that's an easy way to sort of ground this it is. as a frame of reference because it feels so dang good. Yes. Um, but it's the exact same thing, but, but more um, challenging and more lessons need, you know, being um, asked of us to 
examine and learn in the situations where the people are difficult. So I think we find each other in the stardust and the heavens in whatever way we need to in a way that's way bigger than what most of us can understand. I do think one of the bigger distinctions, though, is that we can take responsibility for ourselves and what we have to learn. We do not have to take responsibility for anyone else's behavior, and we're not here to meet anyone else's expectations, but we are here to um, take responsibility for the way we show up. And I may... (laughs) What is the last part of the book? What The first part's the prologue. What's the last part? The epilogue. The conclusion, the epilogue of this... Mm -hmm is that when we get back to heaven, we all sit around in what Rumi calls the tavern. Right. And we go, you did an amazing (laughs) job. Mm -hmm. I know you were horrible, but that's what I needed at the time. So thank you so much. I love that. It's such a good way for, to give people hope. You've reminded me of that a lot too. It's like one day (laughs) you're Certain people are going to say you did a really good job of loving yourself despite what I subjected you to. It's such a beautiful thing to keep in mind while you're going through it. Absolutely. So let's blaze through really quickly. Um, The the last two um, laws are the law of detachment, which has to do with allowing people to be themselves and yourself to be who you are without any judgments or criticisms. And then finally, the law of Dharma, which is about the, the fact that we are here to sing our unique song. We're here in a form to fulfill a purpose. Our action steps, we're going to honor three of the seven laws right now. The first one we're going to, um, is honoring the law of giving. And, um, so we're going to suggest you pick one simple way this week to give a compliment to a stranger, to buy a small gesture for someone, to make a drawing for somebody you don't know, or bake a cake for a neighbor, or whatever it may be. But just to be, it might be extra listening. It might be to go out of your way for somebody that you don't feel inclined to do that for. Um, for me, that's always a big one is just to be present and give someone an ear. That's I love that. To me, one of the greatest gifts anyone could give me and the one that I try to give as much as I possibly can. Um, the second is to take a look at something you consider to be bad karma where you feel like you're being punished in a, bad, in a past life because something difficult's going on and reframe that. Change it to an opportunity. Take it, take it as an opportunity to look at a part of yourself or your circumstances differently. And then finally, honor the law of detachment. Take 10 minutes a day and allow yourself and others the freedom to be exactly who they are without any judgment or intervention This one I practice a lot with difficult people in my life where I try to just show up, give myself some sort of protective little prayer. Sometimes I call a friend before if it's going to be a really tough thing that I'm walking into. And then I just sit and hold a space that feels peaceful and creates like sort of a, um, you know, a uh, sanctuary for me as I'm being in whatever circumstance or presence of somebody that could be difficult where you let them just be who they're going to be without changing it, hating it, loving it, shifting it, helping it. Um, so honor the law of giving, think about karma in a different way and the law of attachment. So we want to thank everybody for joining us. You can find us on Instagram at one soul radio, unity online radio podcast. We're excited. We're going to be launching our YouTube channel very soon. We'll let you know about that. And next week, our beloved Pema Chodron, we're going to be talking about when things fall apart, the Buddhist wisdom from Pema. Please join us. Have a good week. Hi, Callie. Bye. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world.